Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. With me is my co-host, a man who can literally teach sales with one hand tied behind his back, Darren Cecil. Darren, what are we going to discuss today? Dave, I know I'm beating a dead horse by stop, saying stop, this. Stop, 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 stop. Come on now, really? The horse has, not only is he deceased, he's decayed. He's back in the ground. And now we have another little foal. We're done with this. I told you before, we're done with this. Well, then I have a challenge. I don't suppose you can help me. How do I say you have another guest again without saying you have another guest again? Well, you just did. Fair yeah. enough. We have a special guest, Dave. Why don't you tell us about her? Good enough. Maybe I can break you from that habit. So today we have with us Terry McDougal. Terry uh, is, is a podcaster. She, uh, uh, I, I had the honor and pleasure of uh, being a a guest on her podcast, which is all focused on marketing, comes with a huge background uh, in the corporate world of marketing. And she's going to help us today talk about uh, starting the persuasion conversation, as it were, since that's really what marketing is. Terry, welcome to the show. Dave and Darren, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Good. We're, we're really excited about this. You and I had a lot of fun uh, together. Um, and we'll give you a chance. Actually, well, let's just start here. What's the name of your podcast now again? So you the name of my podcast is Marketing Mambo. There you go. Which wow. I, I love. Yeah, I love the alliteration. Right? Only a marketer comes up with that. So um, we always start with the same question, Terry, which is a, a very simple one. Our podcast, as you know, is called Disarming Persuasion. No alliteration there because disarming dissuasion Huh. <laughs> yeah, that's not quite as attractive. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and certainly piss arming persuasion definitely doesn't work. So so we don't have the alliteration, but we're not clever like you. But what does the phrase disarming persuasion? I almost said one of the variants there. What does the phrase disarming persuasion mean to you? You know, to me it means attraction. Attraction. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah, I think that what it means is that you're you're being pulled towards something, but in a way that does not feel uh, coercive. Hmm. Very good. Yeah. Excellent. So um, I'm going to actually toss the first question, the second question, I guess, to Darren, and we'll see where this conversation goes. Oh, absolutely. First of all, that was a brilliant response to the def definition of disarming persuasion. So that was that was brilliant. I appreciate you sharing that. So I guess the first question is you were in corporate marketing for for a while, correct? Long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, more than 30 years. OK, so oh, hold on. Look at her. The line. I, I, I did start in fourth grade. So, That's you know. I was thinking, I was thinking second grade. I think that was, that's quite impressive. Wow. That's really impressive. So in your time, short time or long time, depending on what you determine those years to be, can you give me probably three tips that you learned 
as far as being in that corporate environment in the marketing role? Well, you know, I think marketing's marketing's uh, role really is to build a bridge between what the organization has to offer and understand what it is that people are looking for and sort of build that bridge to connect the two sides. So, you know, much like what, you know, it's marketing is not about strong arming anyone or coercing anyone. It's really about connecting a need with an offer. Okay, that's great. A follow-up question. So I work with companies and help them improve their sales. So sales and marketing go hand in hand. And, and I'm mm-hmm. sure this has never been the case with you, but a lot of times companies that are in marketing blame the sales team. If only they could sell the offers that we have and sales blames marketing and says, if only they gave us really good materials and really great offers, we'd be able to yeah. sell it. Yes. How, what do you do to, that's another bridge that you have to form, correct? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because I've had um, at least a couple people on my podcast to talk about the importance of that relationship between sales and marketing, because it's really just a continuation of that offer to the consumer. Um, you know, sales is out there on the vanguard, actually having, in many cases, that face-to-face contact with customers. But, you know, marketing is behind that and kind of understanding the trends in the marketplace and understanding the needs and, you know, trying to get attention and develop leads for sales. And I do think that it's really critical for sales and marketing to basically be hand in glove. And I think, you know, in in my career, I really tried to work really closely with sales to understand what the challenges were that they were facing in the marketplace to get that, you know, in some ways almost be able to look over their shoulder and hear what are the conversations that you're you're having with people in the marketplace are the things that we assumed um, when we were developing our marketing strategy are you finding that 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 consumers or prospects are receptive to that or did we miss the mark somewhere Um, you know i think that when when we can sort of sit on the same side of the table and look out into the marketplace and partner on being more effective, that's a lot better than, you know, kind of pointing fingers at each other. Um, there's not a lot of, you know, productive outcomes that come from that. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. And really interesting because what you're really talking about or talking against in a sense is the silofication of, of businesses or what we mm-hmm. used to call when I was in the military, we called it rice bowling, right? This is my rice bowl. This is my little, this is mine, yeah. mine, my mind. Yes. And you do see that a lot where the marketing, they have their approach They go, okay, this is what the consumers want, whether it's business consumer, mm-hmm. you know, whoever the customer end user is, this is the problem. And we're going to, we're going to present to the world that we have a solution to that problem. We're going to try and catch their attention by talking mm-hmm. to that problem. And then sales takes a completely different approach, which then puts, um, the veracity of the marketing approach at, at risk, right? Because then, and that starts creating some doubt in people's minds because mm-hmm. they're going, well, there's a disconnect here. And then let's compound the problem because sales is successful even in spite of this discontinuity. 
And then maybe operations, customer service, the delivery of the product, final product or service is a third thing altogether. Right. And so we yeah. Up- yeah. That's, that's really problematic when you've got disconnects like that. I mean, and it doesn't, um, it doesn't make sense for marketing to be marketing to a group that sales isn't selling to. And I think it's really critical to, you know, check in frequently to make sure that, you know, this is, these are the assumptions that we're making about what's going on in the marketplace. Is that what you guys are seeing there on the ground? And if they're not, if they're seeing something different, or if we've made some faulty assumptions in marketing with our research or, or even our approach to how we're marketing, you know, I, I look at sales as a great partner to uh, validate that, you know, is, is our message being received in the marketplace the way that we think that it should be received? And if it's not, that gives us an opportunity to tweak things. Right, so, um, so let me jump in here if I could, because um, we like to start higher level, but really get narrowed down. And I, I want to bring this back to what Darren's question uh, was, which is if somebody is listening to us right now, and I, I say if I'm praying that at least one person is, um, <laughs> right? But we, you know, we have our listeners out there who are going, all right, yeah, I'm a small mom and pop, uh, and you know, I'm doing it all. What tip would you have for them? Because as in my preface to all this, I said, you know. Marketing is really the beginning of the conversation. Right? And whether we're mm-hmm. marketing for team members because we're growing and expanding and we have to hire people or we're marketing for uh, end users, customers, clients, people who are going to buy, or you, you know, that conversation starts with marketing when somehow we catch somebody's attention. And then to me, that's what marketing is, right? Uh, making aware, people aware. Mm-hmm. That we, yeah, we creating awareness. Yes. Right. What tip do you have to make sure that it, there's there's congruity between what the marketing message is that's on point with not just what sales does, but also what operations delivers? Well, I think that you've got to, um, you, you, marketing cannot be in an ivory tower and just be like dreaming stuff up and saying, this is our marketing strategy. You have to start with, you know, what are we trying to sell and who are the people that are interested in buying this and getting an understanding of like, what is it about what we're selling that you like? Because sometimes we can think the reason that they buy it is, is, you know, one thing. And when we talk with them, when we talk with our satisfied customers, we find that there's actually a different aspect or quality of what we're selling that is actually what attracts them. And it's important for us if that's if that's what is attractive to them, that's the thing that we should be talking about in the marketplace, you know, and and sometimes and I've seen it a lot in my career that sometimes, you know, marketing has to work with product and sometimes the the product people get so uh, they fall so in love with their own product and all of the features of, of what the product does that they don't really have an understanding of what it is that the consumer values about it, right? And I always kind of looked at marketing as being sort of the advocate for the customer, right? So product can tell me like, oh, it you know has all these bells and whistles and this is what you should go out and say. Well, I don't want to say that if that doesn't have importance to the people that are buying it, you know, and, and I guess another thing too, is that say, if you're, 
if you're uh, if you have a company and you're thinking about um, you know coming out with a new product or evolving something, you know you will want to talk to people that you think would be interested in your your product or the thing that you want to sell and understand what their unmet needs are, right? Because if you just make something that you think is cool, maybe there's no need for it in the marketplace. But if you discover that unmet need, and then you can make something that fits it, and then go out and tell people like, okay, you know, you've got mice in your house, well, here's a mousetrap, or whatever. So let me, and I'll, I'll, Darren, I'll, I'll let you get in in a second here, but it just, you brought up a, a somewhat famous story, which of course is the story to me, the story of Febreze. Uh, I'm sure you're probably familiar oh, with yeah. it. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm a big user and fan of Febreze. Yes. Right. Which tells me, by the way, right, you're already a clean person because that's that's the beauty story. When they developed Febreze, it was their intention, the market they were looking for were people whose houses were dirty and not clean and they could, you know, to get away all those stinky smells. But those people didn't want clean. Right. And, and they failed flat on their face. And it was only when they discovered that people who were already keeping their house clean, but they wanted that, that clean scent mm-hmm. to, you know, finish it up. And then, then they got their marketing right. And they were able to, you know, going back to persuasion, and then because they were on target now with the right product to the right person, they could get the right message that persuaded them that this is the product to buy. And that's really mm-hmm. what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 Really. And, and, you know, like probably a mom and pop uh, store wouldn't do this, but like you look at some, some company like Procter and Gamble, like, you know, they'll set up laboratories or they'll go in and watch how people use products and sometimes they're like, oh, wow, like we thought that Febreze was going to be for somebody who's, you know, has a stinky couch. But, you know, like in my house, if we cook onions or garlic, I'm spraying it around the house to get the, the stink out of the, out of the air. You know, it drives my husband crazy, but it, it does a great job. They That's- might not have envisioned that. No, absolutely not. They're probably envisioning myself with two uh, teenage boys a few years ago and and they have a different scent a, a different scent or different odor that Febreze is is essential to get through everyday. yeah yeah exactly those you stinky know? sneakers I know I <laughs> absolutely and anything else in between absolutely yeah so I just want to tell a, a brief story so I was a uh, invited to be a consultant on this project. And they had, I was the sales guru. They had a marketing guru and other gurus. And the marketing guru was late for a call between sales and the CEO. And I, we believe, and we talked about this in in a a former podcast, uh, in okay, not okay. That if I make you feel not okay, the only way you can feel better about yourself is to make me feel worse. It's like the bully syndrome, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, the the marketing guru feels not okay. And he's got to make himself feel better. And he can't attack the CEO because that's just political suicide. So he says Mm -hmm. to me, Darren, he's like 40 minutes late. Darren, what's the difference between sales and marketing? And no matter what I say, I will be wrong because he's the marketing guru, if you will. So here's what mm-hmm. I said. I said, you know, I have a son that's like, likes business and we take him, I take him out to lunch every month. And one day, I think he was 10. He said, dad, can you tell me the difference between sales and marketing? And I could go into the four P's. I could do whatever. Right. But mm-hmm. I said, well, let me ask you a question, D. 
do you like girls? He goes, no. I'm like, well, I've seen you look at so-and-so and so-and-so. And someday you might. And I said, let's pretend you like this girl and you tell Martin. You know, I have nicknames for all my son's friends. I call him my favorite Martin instead of my favorite Martin. <laughs> my favorite Martin. And I said, you tell my fave that you like this girl. And then my fave walks up to this girl and says, you should really talk to Darren. He's really funny. He's really smart. And during Veterans Day last year, he, he got this Vietnam veterans, uh, this, this bomber jacket. And he went through the, the VA hospital to find out if someone was in Vietnam and gave away this jacket, right? And so he's like, he's a really good guy. He's funny, smart, nice. I said, whatever Martin says to you is marketing. If at mm -hmm. some point you have a date and you ask good questions, you ask insightful questions, you listen 70 and talk 30, what we talk about. I said, that's sales. Yeah. And the CEO said, that's the best definition of sales and marketing I could ever come up with. And then I said, so why don't you share with me your definition of marketing? And so then he went into it. So I guess I'm going to ask you that same question because my definition is my favorite, you know, ask, you know, paving the way for my son. How would you define marketing for our, our uh, listeners? Well, I mean, for, for one thing, the, the first thing that I would say is that marketing and sales are on a continuum, right? Yep. And, and to me, they have to be, you know, linked and, and interconnected, right? And, and I am not at all in agreement with the siloed uh, approach to sales and marketing. It just does not make sense. Yep. But I suppose I would take um, sort of like a... Um, you know, a cultivation example, you know, like marketing is, is coming in, they're like tilling the ground, you know, they're figuring out what's going to grow here, they're planting seeds, they're watering them. Um, and then, well, I don't make it seem like it's so easy to come and like pick the, the fruit, but Excuse you know, me, Terry, sales. Terry, yeah. you'd be like every mm -hmm. other person out there who thinks sales is easy. You just go and take orders. So don't worry. I about don't, it. I don't think that. And, and this is coming, um, you know, I had my first job was actually working in an advertising sales department as the administrative assistant surrounded by salespeople. And then I went on to be a uh, commercial printing buyer. So I have worked with salespeople my entire career and I love salespeople. Um, I love the I love the energy. I love the optimism. I love the drives. Um, and even as a, a marketing director, you know, there, we bumped heads a lot of times, right? Because sales thought that marketing should bring things further along in the process, or that we should be able to get better leads, or that we should know what was going to work in the in the um, in the process. And you know, a lot of a lot of marketing is testing and learning, right? Because the marketplace is evolving constantly. Um, but anyway, I mean, I suppose that, um, you know, going back to my like farming or gardening, um, you know, that that sales is really going to like go the last part of that, right? Like we've kind of laid the groundwork and have, have maybe started something, but that, um, that sales is going to be the person that cultivates that last bit until it comes to fruition and maybe then believe me this was off the top of my head <laughs> um well, after 30 years off the top of your head is better than most people's deep dive so um yeah no, no doubt about that 
Yeah, it, it, interesting. So it, my, and I, and I come from the, through the sales side of the, of the business, but then I've also, since I've been um, blessed with having to also sit there at, at an executive level and work with marketing, which is, you know, I have utmost admiration for marketers who are the best are so creative about the way they approach things and how they tie things together. Um, the, to me, marketing has always been the uh, really getting out there and trumpeting what the company does well. And, and to, to, to me, it's all about starting with in a creative way. So it start to me, it starts with operations. And, and I actually, uh, from, I love saying, all right, what are we doing different? How do we differentiate ourselves mm-hmm. from our client, yep. from, from our competitors? What sets us apart? Right? Yep. And I don't mean, oh, we provide good service, right? Because everybody says they provide right. good service. I, the- I call it the unique selling proposition, right? Like what's that brand differentiator that's that's different than, you know, something else in the marketplace that might be similar? Yeah. And all those phrases are out there, but a lot of times those sort of get lost yeah. in a shuffle because, you know, it, mm-hmm. you know it's, it's jargon, right? Right. And, and, you know, what are the tangible things that we operationally can do differently than anybody else? To, for our specific client base that, you know, our, our mm-hmm. client avatar. And that's, that's a new concept. When I say new, um, you know, in the last four or five years, I started hearing a lot of that I never heard in the yeah. 20 years the prior avatar. to that. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I love it because it's, you know, what's their mindset? What are they thinking? What are the problems, right? All the sales questions that I learned to ask, but now it's marketing asking them so we could start getting there. And how do we get in their head early enough so that as they start becoming more and more aware of their problems and realizing it is a problem, we've created that relationship with them. Yeah, you know, I I really feel like marketing's uh, role is to understand the needs of those avatars or, you know, maybe even other segments in the marketplace that we're not targeting yet. Take a look at what we have to offer and in, in many ways, sort of package that up in a way that has meaning for the people in the marketplace. And, you know, I, I can't really think of anything at this very moment, but I know that there are certain products that are used. It's the same product, but they're used in different ways by different um, segments of the marketplace. And in some some cases, you know, we might as marketers want to market differently to the different segments, even though it might be the same product, or maybe we make a decision that, okay, it's basically the same product, but we're going to package it differently for different um, parts of the the marketplace so that they recognize that this is for them. Yeah. I I go back to what I was saying. It's, it's really about building that bridge Mm -hmm. um, and, and understanding what we're doing that has meaning for people in the, in the marketplace. Right. Which tie back. It's about credit to me. It's, it's creating that relationship. You say bridge to me, I think mm-hmm. relationship, right. Which mm-hmm. is no different than a one-to-one personal relationship, right? How, how can I, I create that relationship with mm-hmm. you by saying, how can I help you by understanding what your, mm-hmm. what you need, what your problems, your challenges, your goals, your hopes, your aspirations are. Mm-hmm. Right? This is what marketing is. And then how do I help you in that and become that trusted person? So by the time you're ready, if if you get to the point where you go, wow, I can use Dave's services, it's a no-brainer for you. 
because we've already established that relationship. Yeah, and and that is, I think, marketing's marketing's role to to do that. And and I think that uh, you know, as you were talking, and really, you were talking about kind of consultative sales. You know, asking those questions like, what what are your needs, etc. Marketing does that. Like, I mean, good marketers do that on a broad scale. You know, like they're going to do marketing research or focus groups or or something like that to understand what are the needs out there um, so that when we are marketing, that we're talking to people in a way that has meaning. But we're generally doing it in a broader way. And, you know, it's just like you, we've all heard about the sales funnel, you know, and marketing is usually working at the top of the sales funnel to, you know, gain awareness and interest in the product. And then as it goes through the sales funnel and and then, you know, that that's that relationship is handed off to to sales, right? So that they can have that that one-on-one conversation with somebody and actually close the sale. Yeah. So I'm curious. I'm wondering, we have a lot of listeners that are small business owners and maybe mm-hmm. entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and everybody, let's be honest, you go to a networking event, when we go to networking events, everybody's in marketing. Everybody's a branding expert, a marketing <laughs> strategist, or whatever. What are some tips and suggestions on figuring out the right one? Because it's just, everybody does it. So what are the tips and suggestions that you can give our listeners? <sighs> that they could, These are a couple of things to consider. Well, I mean, I think the the first thing to consider is understand, like um, Dave talked about the the client avatar, right? Like understand who is it that loves what you do. Get with them and find out, tell me, like what is it that has meaning and provides value to you about what we do? Um, and look for more people like that. I mean, this is, this is what we call target marketing. Um, and when you're developing your communications, make sure that, I mean, a a lot of times it's very tempting and particularly for people that really love what they do or, you know, don't understand marketing is to try to throw everything in the kitchen sink into the marketing materials and people get really overwhelmed. You know, when people are overwhelmed, they do not make decisions. So if you can understand, like, what are the top two or three things that your current satisfied customers like about what you do, and then, you know, put your communications together to highlight those things, and then try to go out and find people like the people that are already um, working with you. And, you know, I mean, obviously, there's lots of different ways to do that. Um, you know, it, whether it's going to a trade show that focuses on that market segment, whether that is working with somebody to run Facebook ads that are targeting people of that particular demographic. Um, these are these are important things. I mean, that's a good place to start rather than doing sort of like that shotgun approach to like maybe somebody out there wants what I have. Right. Um, but the other thing to keep in mind with marketing is that there is no silver bullet. Um, and it really is about testing and learning things. Um, and so, for example, if you, um, you know, I got my start in marketing in direct mail marketing, and we used to run lots of tests. And, you know, we might do like four different 
versions of the same mail piece with like one thing that's different on each one. And, you know, we would have a control. So the one that we've we've run in the past that did well for us. And then we might, you know, put a different headline on the envelope or maybe have a slightly different bonus offer in the letter that we sent. And then we would just keep testing to see, did this one do better than what used to be our control? And, um, you know, nowadays you can do that with Facebook ads. Um, you can run different sales. Um, you can try, um, you know, giving a free bonus with, with the sale and see if that might um, increase interest. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that you can try. So to, a lot of what you're talking about is marketing to the one to 3% that are actively seeking now, right? And, and the transactional marketing, you know, buy mm -hmm. one, get one freeze or, you know, how do you market to those people who are not quite there on the buyer's journey, right? They're, they're, they're still upstream of that point where they're ready to make mm -hmm. that decision. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, it, again, it goes back to understanding what does the buyer's journey look like, you know, maybe interviewing somebody who has bought from you and asking them like, okay, what was it that attracted to you? Uh, you to us in the first place, you know, what, who else did you consider when you were looking at us? What was it that finally won you over? And then once they've bought for, from you, and if they continue to buy from you, ask them, what is it about the value that we're providing that is keeping you loyal to us? Because, you know, when you understand, you know, those sort of like, trigger points that move people to the next step in the journey, those are your opportunities to influence um, and, and to highlight. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's, that's really good. Understanding the mindset, the thought process, the, uh, the term I, I learned recently was the psychodynamics, right? The mm -hmm. psychometrics, what's... Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm being erudic again, Darren. <laughs> I, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, impressed. I, I'm always impressed. Yeah. That's not a very high bar though. Um, but well taken. So uh, you are a Boston fan. Let's be candid here, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I know. Go Bruins. Yeah. Beat the Caps. I, I, didn't, know. Have to say it. I didn't nope. have to say it. Nope. I said it for you. Um, that's marketing right there. When you don't even have to say your message and people understand it, that's like, Terry, is that not brilliant marketing? I didn't have to say one thing and he was already already on board. That's pretty impressive, wouldn't you say? <laughs> uh, you guys are funny. Yeah, he, he's not bad for a sales guy, I know. <laughs> so um, so for our, you mentioned earlier, that, you know, Procter & Gamble, the large companies, the businesses you did, they, they do a ton of market research. I know they, they, they'll, they'll do... Um, uh, uh, um, Oh, what's focus groups and all sorts mm -hmm. of studies. Yeah. yeah. For our listeners who don't have the resources required to do something like that. Right. And, and, sure. and I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about time as well. Right. Because, yeah. you know, the typically the, the presidents or uh, owners of those companies are really, are really in the trenches every single day. Mm -hmm. What tip do you have for them? How, how did they get to that? 
Well, I mean, the first thing that I would say is that if you're going to invest money in marketing, you do not have the option of not doing this, right? Because you need to make sure that if you're investing money and marketing that you're investing it in the right places and to the point that you were making earlier about you know people saying that they're you know branding and marketing experts there's a lot of charlatans out there and marketing is an extremely broad area of practice and somebody could be you know a great search engine optimization marketer, right? But they're not going to be the right person to develop your overall marketing strategy, right? So it's really important to understand, like, who do you want to sell to? Who has the propensity to buy from you? Why do they buy from you? Where can you find them? Um, And so talking with your current customers that are already happy with you and really going deep to understand what it is that they like about you. And then again, finding the people that, you know, looking out into the marketplace and saying, where can I find more people like this? Um, That that's a good place to start. Um, There are things that you can do. I mean, it can be just having a few conversations with customers. Like if, if the president is going out to lunch with a customer going on a a visit, maybe just spending a few minutes to say, you know, tell me, what is it about what we do that you like the most? Um, Or doing a a customer survey. You know, somebody could get a summer intern that puts puts a survey together on SurveyMonkey and sends it out to customers and, you know, maybe offers some kind of incentive if they fill it out. Um, but you can get some really interesting insights by doing that kind of thing. And it doesn't have to be huge. Um, but, you know, I think that if, uh, you know, looking at the the feedback and, and you know, comparing that with what you thought you were going to see, you know, sometimes you see a lot of consistency and it aligns with why you thought people were buying from you. But sometimes, you know, you might see, different things. And that might indicate that you actually have two different segments that you're selling into. And you might want to differentiate the messaging because, you know, maybe they're both buying your product, but they're buying it for different reasons. Um, So just like I said, marketing is a very broad, (laughs) broad practice. And there's a lot of different ways, but it really does start with just understanding, you know, who who's buying from you and why. Interesting, because you talk about SEO, but what you just described is, in fact, what SEO people do, right? What are the what are the terms people search for, right? Which is yeah, yeah. which is the reason they have the which is why people are buying, right? At least mm-hmm. that product or service because sure. that's sure. the problem they're trying to solve. Yeah, but I, I think that you want to start with understanding the people that you're that you're selling to first before you jump into tactics. Right. Because there's there's many different ways that you can gain attention. You know, you can do a billboard, you can do direct mail, you can do door hangers, you can do referral programs. There's lots of different ways, tactics that you can do to market. But you want to make sure that the message that you're sending out through those channels resonates with the people that you're trying to reach. And that does start with understanding, you know, your your target audience. So if I have a bias, you said there's a lot of charlatans out there and there's a lot of <laughs> as coaches. Everyone's a coach nowadays, right? Yeah. I'm a coach too, but I am I, trained as a coach. <laughs> of course. 
everybody's a coach, everybody's a consultant, everybody's a you know a marketing guru. And let's just say I've been burned in the past by making an investment in the guru, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. What are some tips and suggestions? Like, how do you how do you separate yourself from the the people that say that they're they're, they're end up being the charlatans, but they come across like mm-hmm. they're just like you? How do you articulate your unique uh, value or sales proposition? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing that I would want to know is who else have you worked with, and are these businesses similar to mine? Yep. You know, like I most of my career was spent in financial services, and you know, probably one of the biggest frustrations that I had, and most of it was in B2B financial services, which is, is pretty, you know, specific. Yeah. And I had a lot of frustrations working with our advertising agencies because they did not understand the really specific area. And so whenever I was working with new agencies or whatever, or if I was exploring um, starting a relationship, I would really want to know who else have you worked with? You know, and are they similar in complexity or specificity to what I'm doing? Right. And then maybe even check with, you know, do you have testimonials? Do you have a reference that I can talk to to find out, like, do they know their stuff? You know, did did the campaigns that they developed for you work? You know, Um, because marketing can be very expensive. Um, Now, when marketing works well, it's a great route. investment and you get a great return on your investment but it can also be a really um if you don't know what you're doing you can waste a lot of money on it so so you said something here that you know brought me back to my sales days which is you know do they have testimonials and do they have references Mm -hmm. the big challenge i've always had with references is nobody's going to give a reference to somebody who you know call call terry she'll Mm -hmm. tell you about all my screw-ups right? Mm-hmm. That just doesn't happen. And mm-hmm. uh, so references are always glowing. What's the question you would ask this glowing reference that might reveal uh, a weakness or an area of concern? That's, that's a really good question. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty highly intuitive. And so I always listen for like, what is between the lines? or maybe what they're not saying. Um, And, you know, also I came from, you know, large corporate and just by knowing like some of the organizations, I knew that some of the organizations were like really quality organizations and they probably wouldn't have done business. Um, And, and also, you know, if you have a network where you can sort of in some ways triangulate, like ask other people like, Hey, what have you heard about this? this organization? Are you hearing good things about them? Um, Nowadays too, I mean, just even going out and and checking on Google or Yelp or something like that to see if there are reviews out there um, on the organizations. Because sometimes, um, you know, it's funny, like whenever I like plan a trip or something like that, and I'm thinking about, you know, maybe staying at a certain place, you know, I'll go. And so, you know, say it's like a four stars, I'll just go through and find the worst reviews and say like, okay, what's the issue here? Is this a picky consumer or are there some truly, absolutely, you know, concerning things there? Um, so I, I don't know if that's super helpful, but no, it is. you know, I, I think looking at, looking at things from different angles and not just taking like one person's word. 
um, on things. And then, you know, I think the other thing too is, and and this is what I did in my career, especially whenever I was working with new organizations, you know, because as a print buyer, I bought millions of dollars worth of printing and I always had print salespeople coming and trying to sell to me. And I would start them off with something small. You know, if I had like a, a small run for sure, right? So that I could, you know, small risk for me to take, right? But, but I'm not going to give them like a multi-million dollar, you know, piece of business right off the bat. I'm going to start them off with like, okay, I need 5,000 brochures. Like, because if it doesn't work out well, it's, you know, my head's not on the chopping block, of course. you know, but I can see, did they come in on time? Was the quality good? You know, how is customer service? And then, you know, you just kind of move up from there and say, okay, well, you did well on that. I'll give you something slightly bigger. Um, you don't have to, you know, you can start off with something small or you can also say to your, ask them, like, are you going to guarantee results? Like if you're telling me that if I invest this, that I'm going to get this, what happens if that doesn't happen? Do you have any guarantees? It's a great question. Dave, if I had a suggestion, a thought on what you asked, should I share it or keep it to myself? Or you should probably keep it to yourself because nobody really. No, why don't you share it? Well, Terry might. I know you don't, but Terry might. So I might say at that particular point, if you're if you're interviewing or checking on references. So let me ask you a question, Dave. You are, it sounds like you are 100 percent satisfied with working with that other company. Were you not? I was satisfied. Yeah, but but more than but more than satisfied. You were you were excited what working with them though, right? I thought it went pretty well. Yeah. When you say pretty well, there were no challenges. There. I'm sorry? When you said pretty well, there were no challenges though, were there? Well, no, look, nothing is flawless, right? That's so, true. yeah. You know, but, but to me, the marketer company is how well they pick the ball up after they drop it. Got it. And they always picked it up. Yeah, they always picked it up. Sometimes I wish they hadn't dropped it. Yeah, but they did the best they could. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah. So it wouldn't make sense for us to even have a conversation because you're used to them dropping the ball and then picking it up. If they get to the end zone. It wouldn't make sense for us to have a conversation though, would it? About the way that our clients say to us, we don't typically drop the ball. All right. So, and Darren, this is a great conversation, but my question, and, and I thought you were going to answer it a little differently. Um, I can. Is if I'm talking to a ref, ref reference, so Terry said, call Darren, you know, he, he'll give me a reference. And you're telling me how phenomenal it is. I might right. say something and, and it's something along the line of, you know, um, you know, um, you know, one of the things that I like to look for in companies is how how quickly they pick up the ball when they drop it. You know, yep. but there probably weren't any drop balls in, in yep. your right. And what I'm yep. actually looking for. Yes, I want to know how uh, somebody handled the misstep, but I also want to know what was that misstep. Right. That's right. Because a lot of times people won't tell you the misstep because they're overall satisfied. And we, they kind of, they, we mentally for block that out because we're saying this is a good company. That's right. So that's a way of getting those missteps and then judging for yourself how bad or how severe. That's right. Is it? I think that that's a great point. And I will tell you also that it would not turn me off if somebody said, yeah, there was a misstep, they did drop the ball. And in fact, if they said they were perfect, they never made a mistake, they were the best thing, I would actually be more skeptical than if they said like, listen, you know, like one time they printed something on the wrong color paper, but they fixed it and it was fine. I'd be like, okay, yeah, that stuff happens. And you're absolutely right that, 
you know, it does because you're entering into a relationship, you know, and, and people aren't perfect, but it's a matter of like, okay, are they good most of the time? And to your point, what do they do when they drop the ball? Right. And how bad, how bad was the ball dropped? So for example, right, exactly. You know, you ordered 5,000 copies of something on a deadline and it doesn't show up on the deadline. Right. And Mm -hmm. they go, Oh yeah, sorry. We, we, you know, we, we had a problem with our printer, you know, on Monday and today's Thursday. And so we couldn't get your stuff done, but we'll have it overnighted to you. I'll have it by, by next Monday, but you needed it by Friday. Yeah, exactly. Right. So what I want to know is what was the misstep? And then, right. Cause that's different than, yeah, listen, uh, they, they called me up. They said, we're going to be, you know, uh, a day late or, or they, they said there's a potential being a day late because, you know, they had a, a the, the color came out imperfect and they wanted to rerun it again. Is that an issue? And I said, and I said right. to them, well, no, I actually need it eight o'clock on Tuesday morning. <clears throat> and they said, all right, we'll, if we show up at eight o'clock Tuesday morning with it, will that work? And they said, yes. And so then they worked all night. And then the owner drove it over personally and made the delivery mm-hmm. at seven thirty. So I had like, that's a different conversation. Yes. Yeah, right? that's a partnership. And I, it's funny because when you're talking about that, I was like, <laughs> you're you're like take me back down memory lane because you know the kind the companies that I worked with. I mean, my my most value valued um, vendor relationships they were not perfect, but they were my partner, right. and we they they communicated with me frequently. They went the extra mile. Sometimes I screwed up. I mean, there were times where I screwed something up and they would reprint it for me for free, you know, because they valued the relationship. Um, But uh, yeah, I think, you know, it's funny. I want to share my husband and I were on vacation last week and we were at this uh, this bar overlooking the beach in, in San Diego and looking at the, the bar menu. And there was this, this one drink. And I said to the bartender, you know, how's this drink? Is it, it is it good? And she said, it's popular. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, I, I didn't ask you if it was popular. I asked you if you, it was good. And she said, well, I think this other one's better. And I think it's like listening for little things like that, right? right. And, and um, Darren, much to your point that, you know, sometimes people talk around stuff. And if you probe more that sometimes you can kind of get in there and find out what the, the real deal is. Um, and, and I think it's important not to just, you know, take one, one person's word for it. Or, you know, if you are going to take a risk, you take a small risk sure. and judge for yourself. Sure. And before we go, because I, I need to know now, was that you wouldn't recommend that place it was overlooking the water in San Diego for, for drinks? So would you? And if so, if you feel comfortable sharing that before we go, I'd love to hear that because it's always nice. Yes, it was, I-, I would totally recommend it. It's called the Water Bar and it's um, overlooking Mission Beach. It was up on the second floor with big, you know, open windows, beautiful sunset. And the drink that we ended up having was called Mermaids Are Real. Nice. And and I'm presuming because if you drink enough of them, you they actually are real. see mermaids. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, okay, that's brilliant. Wonderful. Sure. Terry, you may not be aware, but Darren and I are in San Diego, so we're going to check that out. Absolutely. That was a great, yeah, that was a, a great place. And the, the bartender's name was Nikki or Blue because she had blue hair and she was great. Nikki or Blue. Well, that did a list. We might do a remote broadcast from there one day. I think we may. And and, and the later we go, mermaids will be real. <laughs> so, 
Absolutely. Terry, yeah. any, any last words for our listeners? Well, um, don't be afraid of marketing. You know, I know that it can seem sometimes like this, it can be complex, but really when you boil it down to the most basic thing, it's understanding the needs of your prospects and clients and communicating with them in a way that has meaning um, so that they want to have a relationship with you. Absolutely. Wonderful. Last question I have is how can people get a hold of you? People can find me at my website, which is terrybmcdougall.com. And if they're interested in hearing more about marketing, my, uh, my podcast, Marketing Mambo, is at marketingmambo.net. And I talk to brilliant marketers and salespeople and other people involved in marketing um, on a weekly basis. How the heck did I get involved Dave. in that mix? <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. I, I need to say it. And what, I'm going to interrupt. You invited Dave? Yes. We had I a was, wonderful conversation. I, I was able to persuade her disarmingly. <laughs> it was very disarmingly. Yes, disarming. I totally agree yes, with that. that's right. <laughs> so, so, well, well done. Very disarming. <laughs> and we'll have those links in the show notes, folks. So, um, you know, and, and you'll be able to just click right through there. So, Terry, thank you for being such a, a fun and, and uh, informative guest. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun, guys. Thank you, Terry. Bye, Dave. Bye, Darren. Bye-bye. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. My name's Dave Rosenberg. And this is Darren Cecil. Visit our websites at LockedOnLeadership.com or DarrenCecil.com. Follow us on social media. You can find the links in the show notes. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you fail to disarm them.